Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, this podcast is being recorded in um, the 23rd of March, and I just want to make a comment about the coronavirus. These podcasts have a long shelf life, so some of you will be listening to this podcast much later than March, and there'll be more of the coronavirus story that's understood. But the way I'm framing it in my mind, and I'm not an expert in any of these areas, is it's just a 20-chapter book. And we're in chapter one or two. It's the beginning stages of this, and there's a lot of chapters to be written. And it's unique to me because I've never been in an experience that's close to this. There's not another book that I've lived through that's kind of a sister book to know how this works. So it's new for me. It's new for our listeners. I'm grateful the podcast will continue to go forward. Um, I hope it's helpful for you. And I do join with you and other our world leaders and people throughout the whole world that this passes and we are able to get better treatments, better testing, ultimately a vaccination. We can put this behind us and hopefully there's lessons that will be learned. There's really significant pain and anxiety right now, um, but I hope that we come together. It's the first time in my lifetime that the world has been unified on one cause. I've never seen that before. And I think that's part of the solution that will eventually happen is the whole world is unified on finding a solution to this. My guest transitioning now to podcast life and our guest, our guest is a woman by the name of Kiana Chase Gines. I'll spell her first name for you. It's Q-U-I-A-N-A, Kiana. And I became aware of Kiana, somebody tagged me in a Facebook post uh, because they gave, became aware of a wonderful LDS LGBTQ person. Kiana made a post on March 11th of 2020. It's had 140 shares, 138 comments. And as I read through the post, I thought it's a pretty special person that I'd love to have on the podcast. Um, so we're going to start with um, Kiana, who's active LDS and identifies as LGBTQ. Um, she's a return missionary from the Indiana, I don't know what, Indianapolis, Indiana yeah, mission? Indiana, Indianapolis. Um, served there from 2017 to 2018. Um, her married name is Gines. She has on her Facebook page her missionary tag that says Sister Chase. It's pretty cool. And um, now is um, a writer and also works in special education. But let's turn it over to Kiana. We both offered a prayer, and we pray this podcast will just be helpful to you, our listeners. So we're going to start with Kiana just reading her great Facebook post from March 11th. All right. And there are some things that um, are a little bit outdated, and I'll Good. go over those as I touch on them. Okay. Hello, friends. As someone who is very much an LGBTQ plus person and a devout member of the faith, let's go over some things, shall we? We're not going to go into the policy that caused all this fuss in the first place because that's an entirely different can of worms. Listen, us rainbow folks know how the church feels about homosexuality. You don't need to tell us. You are not saying anything we haven't heard a million times before. I happen to have the precise statistics of LGBT people who were convinced to abandon their desires and change their behavior because someone because of someone going on a rant about how homosexuality is a sin and not part of God's plan and we should just suck it up and deal with it. It's 0%. I also have the precise statistics of LGBTQ plus people who feel pain and isolation when we see or hear stuff like that. 100%. It's 100% of us, you guys. Lectures don't help people who are hurting. 
Trust me, it doesn't matter what our stance is and what we've decided to do with our lives. That kind of rhetoric says that we can't trust you and that you don't want us. It doesn't matter how good your intentions are. If you talk about how someone probably won't end up in heaven for any reason, you will lose trust and you will inflict pain. I have seen six devout straight members who have offered comfort instead of counsel. Six. And as an aside, uh, since this post was made, I've seen about 10 to 12. So that number has increased and that makes me happy. If we are to be corrected, let God do that. Don't burden yourself with the false mantle of judge and prophet. Going on these rants doesn't make you righteous. Going on these rants makes you, well, I want to say it makes you a butthole, but I won't because you have a good heart and Jesus would not be happy with me if I called you a butthole. Since you do have good intentions, would you like to know what does help us stay in the church, especially when something like the BYU debacle happens? Because it will happen again, you know. It'll happen over and over and over. Please remember that we are faced with an impossible choice that you do not have placed before you. Remember that no matter what we choose, there will be an immense pain. Remember that this impossible choice is between us and God alone. You are not us. You are not God. Please remove yourself from our private conversation. Instead, let us know that we belong here and that you will embrace us like our Savior does time and time again. Good decisions are made when we feel God's love. Make sure you are using language that soothes wounds. Make sure that you listen. You have no idea how much relief comes when someone agrees to listen and try to understand you. When you know, when you know that you are loved and that you can talk about an aspect of your life with someone without being ridiculed, doors open up. The spirit floods in. Remember that you are not Jesus and you have zero right to condemn the very personal actions of anybody but yourself. Remember that it is very possible for someone to live a very happy, fulfilling life full of genuine joy and love if we choose to act on the love that we have for someone or express ourselves as a gender that makes us feel more comfortable. Many of us do, and that's okay. Remember what happens to us next is God's business, not yours. Just worry about your own salvation. Your salvation is dependent on whether or not you mourn with those who mourn and comfort those who stand in need of comfort, regardless of the reason. As for me... There are probably many confused about why I stay in the church. I know there will be likely many people who will see this and plead for my own health that I leave. I will stay. I will stay because God and I have had many conversations about this. We had one the other night and there were lots of tears. I was this close to leaving. I always am when something like this happens. Do you want to know what helped? While I was sobbing, pouring out my soul and my pain and my anger, my dear husband embraced me tight and said, well... If you leave, I will still love you. I will be here with you. I heard my father's voice in those words, and I was able to pull myself together, connect with God, and feel genuine peace. But before I go any further, if anyone tells their child or friend or anyone, look, Kiana is able to be a devout member of the church. She even served a mission and got married in the temple. Why can't you do what she did? I will personally drive over to your house, and we'll have a very long conversation about why that is not okay. Okay? Okay. Remember when you teach your Sunday school lessons or talk in your family that you have no idea who is LGBT and who isn't. Always speak like there is a closeted rainbow child listening who is struggling to understand their place in the world. I've talked a lot and I have a lot more to say. 
ask any questions. If you comment something that is not helpful or cruel, I will respond respond with, this is not helpful, it is cruel, and move on. Good night, and I love you. I feel like clapping. <laughs> Thanks. Um, you are a really good writer and very talented at communicating your heart and your feelings. Tell our listeners before we kind of go back through the post, as what was your re, what were the reaction on the Facebook comments? Uh, from every single person that I knew, it was astoundingly positive. Um, a lot, everyone that I, well, I, there were people who I knew had feelings that were not positive, but they didn't comment or they didn't post. But everything um, was pretty positive. There were a few people who popped up and. <laughs> were excellent examples of the kind of things I was talking about in the post, the perfect examples of things not to do. But I did my best to interact with them and be like, hey, I know you're a good person. I know you're trying to help. You know, this doesn't mean that... <laughs> and this doesn't mean I'm saying everyone should jump off and pursue their own desires. I'm just saying that if they do, it it's not any of your business. And if you want to help these people stay in the church, we need to listen and understand. And that's not listening and understanding. I'm sorry, but I know that you're still a good person and that you're trying. Did you get a lot of private messages, DMs? I did. I was surprised at how many I got. I got several people who um, also came out to me and expressed that they cool. were rainbow children. <laughs> I love that term, rainbow children. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's great. I don't know where it came from, but I like it. And um, a couple more from people who were, you know, just surprised because that was the first time I'd ever mentioned in public that I was LGBT. and. That's why there were a lot of really surprised hearts and you, we support you because no one had any idea um, except for my other rainbow friends until that post came out. Any negative DMs or were they supportive or people coming out knew they could trust you? Um, I don't think I got any negative DMs, no. Um, I know that I did have a conversation with my mom later on and she did not understand, even though I told her before, <laughs> like she knew all of this about me before, but she just didn't under. She still was like in denial. And I think she still is in denial, but like, I mean, I'm still keeping my covenants and that's the most important thing to her. So, And sometimes with parents, um, you've been processing this for a while and we'll get into that, but sometimes for parents, it's, and maybe she's been processing as long as you have, but sometimes it's just the stages of sort of understanding acceptance yeah. are not matching exactly. So I hope that she, um, cause you use the word denial and that's sometimes a stage of just sort of a parent, yeah. um, understanding they have an LGBT or rainbow child. Yeah. Was there anything specific that caused you to do the post? This post, you know, you've mentioned kind of, you didn't, I don't think you said BYU honor code per se, but I think our listeners recognize you're referring to that. Yeah. And maybe you use that word. And I just, yeah, you do have BYU debacle. Was there something that actually triggered this post? Yes. Um. So, yeah, that, that, and that's an entirely like, different thing, the whole thing with BYU and, you know, it could have, and everyone agrees that it could have been handled better than it was, no matter what side you were on. 
Um, but there was this lady who is in my community because I'm very active in the homeschool community. That's where I grew up. You know, everyone's very devout, um, very Christ-centered. And she is an amazing person, like really, really great. Like I've been over to her house. I'm good friends with her kids. Um, and she made a, a post like talking about how, you know, it like that was was basically saying, oh, here are the things that we don't know. The hold on, trying to collect my thoughts because it still makes me really mad. <laughs> um, it was a post saying, like, here are the underlying issues with the BYU thing, and basically talking about how, you know, homosexuality is bad and doesn't help people get into heaven and blah blah blah. I'm like, this isn't what that's about. Like that's it's something different entirely. And so we went, got into a very long discussion, like uh, not with me and her per se until later on, but I just realized that there are so many good people around me who are very, very good people who just don't understand and have no idea what these people are going through and think that, you know, um, not acting on your gay desires is the same as deciding not to drink coffee. Or not, and it's not, it is not the same at all. And I realized that there was um, probably no way for these people to understand um, unless, like, they realized that I had personal experience in the area. Because um, a lot of the people know me, a lot of people trust me. They know that I was married in the temple, that I feel very strongly about Christ, that I served a mission, and they were very, very surprised. Um, but I just, it hurt really badly to see these people doing things that they thought were helping that were actually driving other people away. Thanks for sharing that part of the backstory. And, um, I think it's good you did the post. I think one, there's a lot of things that resonate with me in the post, and that is that generally LGBT people know the doctrine of the church. Oh yeah. We know. And you're kind of sometimes walking encyclopedias. So if I remind you of the doctrine, it's often not what I need to do to sort of mourn, minister. I've learned sit in your pain, um, validate your pain, sort of try to understand from your perspective the difficult road and the paradoxes that largely often you face. And that and then you talk in your post about mourn, bear, and comfort, and that's the part of my baptism mm-hmm. covenant that that I feel I'm doing the best on when I can sort of sit with LGBTQ people in their pain. And there's a lot of pain at BYU over that honor oh, code. Yeah. And I've recognized it's a false dichotomy that to somehow sit with you in your pain and validate your pain means I'm not supporting the church or our leaders. I can do mm-hmm. both. I don't have to give up something to honor how difficult your road is. And how much pain there may be for you as an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. Yeah. Talk. Will you tell our listeners um, where you identify on the LGBTQ spectrum? Absolutely. I am bi or bisexual. Uh, there are some people who classify me as pansexual, but a lot of people don't know what that means. So I usually just stick with bi. Um, and I also experience gender dysphoria. I don't think I'm transgender because I haven't transitioned, but I do experience um, gender dysphoria. Not as strong as I did when I was a teenager, um, even though I have relapses, but that is a big part of 
my life experience. We'll talk about that. You've been married for four months and Mm -hmm. just give our listeners a rough idea of your age. Okay. I am 22 right now. I think. Yeah. 22. (laughs) (laughs) And so just, I I can see Kiana sitting across the table. Sometimes I forget my listeners may not be able to tell your age just by listening to you over uh, a podcast. So um, let's just define pansexual for a second. Will you take a if you're okay, just defining that for our listeners. We don't talk about pansexual very often on the podcast. Yeah. So pan basically means that you're attracted to people regardless of gender identity. So um, some people like referring to themselves as pansexual rather than bi because bi indicates that there's two genders and that... Um, and that it's not inclusive of people who identify as non-binary or or whatever. I just really like beautiful souls, and I found the one that I like, and I married him. And um, I love what he said in this post. Will you talk about gender dysphoria? Will you talk about when you first um, experienced that and just kind of help our listeners understand gender dysphoria? Absolutely. And so... I did not know what gender dysphoria was when I was experiencing it. And I first started to experience it a little bit as I went into puberty. And again, I had no idea what it was. All I knew um, was that I had a really strong desire to be a dad. Not like a working dad, but like a stay-at-home dad. I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom. I wanted to be a stay-at-home dad, which is kind of like, that should have been the first warning sign right there, (laughs) that this was about gender and not necessarily like anything else. Um, But then... As I started to mature a little bit more, I just started to loathe the fact that I was a girl and that's how other people saw me and that's how God saw me and that's how I was made. It just, I I didn't know that trans people existed. Otherwise, I would have found a way to get hold of hormones so fast. Um, but I just knew that I didn't like how it was and I didn't believe that God made mistakes, but I did believe that he'd done something very cruel in making me a woman and that I should have been a guy. And, um, I remember when like, it was, it was just so painful. And my mom and I got fights, got, got into fights all the time because I got suicidal and I was just a little pill because I was in a lot of pain and a lot of the things we fight, fought about had nothing to do with what I was actually experiencing. Um, but I just like my, my parents thought, it was, I was just upset because I couldn't have the priesthood, but it was deeper than that. And they, it just, yeah. And I'm still not. Do you remember times yeah. when you got, it triggered you and your gender dysphoria was higher? Do you remember different times or could you, or did you even see events coming up and you knew this will be triggering for me and my gender dysphoria spike? Or did it just come at random times? I mean, if I had been aware of what was happening, I would have been able to keep track of it better. But I didn't know what was happening. I just knew it was miserable. And so probably, but that period of my life was so dark and bleak that I just kind of, it's like my mind just scratched it out. And I can remember that it was dark and bleak and that I hated myself and I would have killed to be a boy. But... um. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Talk, share with our listeners how it lifted. Um, Did it lift completely at age 10, 11, 12 for at times? 
um, or was it just as you aged up, did it gradually just lift? It was like a sunset. It just kind of slowly went down. I remember um, one day I was at a homeschool event about gender roles, <laughs> which, and, and like looking back, there are a lot of things that I don't agree about that that event and the things that it taught. And, you know, I, but there are a lot of good things that came along with it. Um, one thing in particular, they had us do an exercise where we just were supposed to close our eyes and think about what it meant to be um, a son or daughter of God. And I was like, oh, well, here we go. This is probably going to be an awful experience. Um, but it wasn't. And I was able to feel peace and a strong, just, just a strong peace. And I don't know if, and from, and I think from that point on, it started to lift. And I don't know if that's it was because of that or just because I started to age out of it um, because I know that some people kind of grow out as dysphoria as they get older. And I don't know if I was just lucky and I just stopped feeling dysphoria. Um, yeah, it was gradual and it came back. It, it, it still comes back in lapses. It came back, you know, um, after my mission, came back kind of during my mission um, a couple of times in high school. But by the time I was like 16, 17 I didn't really think about it all that much. Before we, in your Facebook post and before we recorded it, I think you talked about your relationship with Heavenly Parents, Heavenly Father, mm -hmm. Heavenly Mother. I can't remember which one and just some feelings like it's okay to be me. Yeah. Will you share with our listeners that experience? Yeah. I and Maybe you just did. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, a big part of it. Um, but even though there's still that like, dysphoria and that, that disjointedness no matter what I do. Like there will always be a part of me that would rather be a stay-at-home dad than a stay-at-home mom. I can't explain it. Um, but it's still like I can still do what I want to do and express myself in a way that I, I like. Like I can wear quote-unquote guys clothes, but it's still okay because I'm me. And anything that I do that is me and is good is okay in God's eyes. And it's a, it's part of being his daughter, including the fact that I wish I were a guy. Um, do you want to share with our listeners why you don't necessarily take on the transgender label? Uh, because I didn't transition and because I don't intend to transition. Um, just because like that's something Heavenly Father and I have had long discussions about and Ever, and I just didn't feel like it was the right thing to do, especially since my dysphoria isn't crippling all the time. If it were, I, I don't know what I'd do. I honestly have no clue. But I know that with the experiences I have right now, that it's not the right thing for me to do. And I'm glad that I didn't because I really value my temple marriage and I really value the fact that I was able to serve a mission. And those are experiences that I couldn't have had if I transitioned. I'm, I'm still jealous of people who transitioned, but Why? I'm glad I didn't. Why are you jealous? Because it's just something that I want. Um, I think it would be really, really awesome to be able to express that part of me. I think it would be really awesome to um, be a guy, like have that deep voice and that commanding air and like just the way that um, testosterone makes you feel. And I feel like a big part of me would just feel more comfortable with it. Just 
be more comfortable. Yeah. As some of our listeners know, I'm writing a book, um, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. That's the subtitle. The title is Listen, Learn, and Love, just the name of the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I've been working on this chapter about transgender Latter-day Saints, and um, it's helped, and I haven't really... In spite of podcasts with trans people, I think I've used the words gender dysphoria and transgender as synonyms, mm -hmm. and I recognize they're not. Um, I recognize if I, and you're some of your listeners know this space better than I do, and Kiana does too. As I look at transgender as the identity, um, or this um, this feeling that your gender identity or who you are doesn't match your biological sex, um, gender dysphoria is the pain or the distress that you feel because of that. And somebody um, described it, um, Grace and Moore, a transgender Latter-day Saint. I'll just read a few verses, few words that he just shared or his mother shared with me. Have you ever, and he goes, have you ever gotten car sick? Car sickness, like many other forms of motion, sickness occurs when your inner ears and your eyes disagree about whether you're moving. Gender dysphoria is like that awful, nauseating, headache-inducing wrongness of the disagreement between your mind and body. And then he goes on, and I won't read his whole comment, um, but he says, it's sort of like, um, let me find this, oh, I've lost it. It's sort of like, um, you know, in his case, being car sick for four years and not being able to get out of the car. Does that resonate with you when you it, hear that? It does. It does. Especially in that um, period where the dysphoria was the worst. That's what it felt like. It was, it was just bad and it was painful. It's just painful. And that's the thing as a cis guy, cisgender for our listeners is the opposite of transgender. So I am biologically male and feel male. And I've never felt any gender dysphoria. And so it's very difficult for me to understand. And so I've learned as part of my bear morning comfort that you point out in your, pot, in your Facebook post, my job is to try to not project my non-trans experience on you because I don't feel any of that pain, but try to develop empathy for something that you feel that I don't feel. And to me, that costs me nothing to validate how you feel and to try to understand how you feel. And I recognize that every every person I've met with gender dysphoria, I, I've learned that that's really an authentic pain or distress, um, just like car sickness is, yeah. if that's a fair analogy. No one wants to be car sick. Everybody would love to not be car sick. Um, but since all of us, I think, have experienced car sickness, we have empathy for everybody if they experience that. It's been a long time since I've been car sick, but I did jump out of an airplane with my son parachuting, and I got really sick really quick. And that's a terrible feeling. Um, so I just, it's something that, you know, says people will never feel, but I think it's part of one of the things what we're required to do as active LDS is to try to understand something we don't know very much about and not to develop opinions until we listen to trans people. I can't learn anything about this space except talking with somebody like you. Thank you. Um, and I think it's really honest that you'd love to transition and that, it, and that you recognize the sort of the paradox of that 
you you know you recognize to you know be in the church and have a temple marriage and that you know you need to be a woman i guess and yeah. um even though there's this conflict going on and and so i just recognize the choice the difficult choices you face and the sacrifice that you're making and sometimes the pain you're feeling to walk this road that you you and your husband have chosen to walk yeah. anything you'd like any more you'd like to share about that about gender dysphoria do you, and any personal revelation that you've received from heavenly parents on why you have gender dysphoria? I honestly have no idea. I don't know where it comes from. I just know that it's like, it's painful. And when you experience gender dysphoria, you will do anything to make it go away. And for some people, the only way out that they see is suicide. For some people, they, they don't want to die, but they want the pain to stop so they'll transition. And for some people, like it just eventually fades, which is why I, you know, stand 100% behind the people that I know who have transitioned because, you know, they just want the pain to stop. And not everyone is as lucky as I am and experiences that the a place where the pain becomes manageable. You may have heard this before. I cringe even saying it out <laughs> loud. Um, what would you say that people would say, well, how you're feeling is just a sign of the last days or Satan deceiving you? What? <laughs> Do you ever hear that? Um, I have never heard that actually. Good. Um, I have, oh, I did hear, you know, your feelings come from Satan. I, I did hear that. I still don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Um, yeah, cause I, I believe, honestly believe that, that will, at least when it comes to, um, being bisexual, I believe that Satan cannot create love and that I have felt sincere romantic love for women. And I don't, that, that feels weird saying that it comes from Satan because it was so, you know, it was love. Um, but with dysphoria, I don't know why it happens. I don't know if it's a nature thing or if it's a nurture thing or if it's an evil spirit that possessed my body. Or I, I don't know and I don't really care. What matters is my relationship with my Heavenly Father and that we're able to work through it together. I love that. And um, I, uh, some LGBT people, you know, do sort of a, eventually get some personal revelation regarding why they are the way they are, a rainbow child, and some don't. And I wouldn't make it a requirement that to fully understand your road, you've got to get, understand exactly why Heavenly Father's created this way. But I do think, like I think you feel, no one should feel shame for how they're created. Um, so do you feel shame for having gender dysphoria? No, um, because it's helped me connect with people a lot and empathize with people a lot better than I would have otherwise. Why? Because I, I don't know, like it's painful and you understand pain. And so, cause people experience things and sometimes it's really weird and you don't understand why that hurts them. But I'm always able to go like, well, I have gender dysphoria. I want to be a boy. That's really weird. So maybe the pain that this person is going through is sincere. Um, yeah. Cause like, I didn't really, I've had a couple of friends who transitioned male to female and I did not understand that because I, I could not understand why anyone would want to be a girl. But being able to like just kind of step aside and real and 
and realize that it was just very similar to what I was experiencing just helped me have more empathy for them. So um, I've also experienced anxiety and depression, and I think those also have helped me empathize with people just because I think for the same reason that the savior is able to empathize with us because he's, he's felt it. And I'm not nearly like on a level with the savior, but when you feel the pain, you can emphasize, empathize with other people who also feel pain. Talk about, um, did you come out with gender? Did you talk to your husband before you married him about gender dysphoria? I did. I did tell Tell our listeners about that. Yeah. I mean, we're just sitting on the couch. Um, I don't think we'd been dating for very long and I was just like, okay, so we've been dating for a little while and I got it set. Like, it just kind of like came up and I was like, oh yeah, that was like a dark part of my life. And you know, when I had gendered it, like when my dysphoria was super strong and he was like, what's that? <laughs> and that's been the experience of just about every, I think, yes, every single person I've talked to who is um, straight has always asked, what the heck is gender dysphoria? I don't understand. I was like, well, you know what trans people are. And they're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, that, it's generally why trans people are trans is because of dysphoria. And he was just like, oh, well, I'm really glad that you never transitioned because I I don't think guys are hot. They're, guys are ugly and gross, and I'm glad that you're a girl. And he had a similar uh, reaction when, like, after we got married and I told him I was bi, and he was like, huh, you could be with a really hot girl with now, but you're with me. That's super cool. And he hugged me, and I just felt warm and fuzzy inside. What a inside. great response. Yeah. He's a, awesome. And I hope our listeners could see, because Kiana's just smiling. You know, if your husband's listening to this podcast um, someday, um, there's, I just love the smile on your face as you talk about your husband. And I love the way he looked at those, those parts of you, not negative, but positive. Um, how cool is that? What a good yeah. guy. Yeah, and I was very surprised. I did not expect that from him because... You know, my, my family is also very conservative and, and, and solid and grounded in the church and doesn't really like venture anything outside the, you know, the conservative, you know, LDS bubble. But uh, and his family is even more so that way. And so I he'd never even heard of a lot of this stuff before. And the fact that he was so accepting just astounded me. And I love that. And I'm learning that even. um and I, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think there's an image about conservative Latter-day Saints, but I've learned that um, I kind of consider myself as a conservative Latter-day Saint in a lot of ways, but I've learned that it doesn't, I, I don't have to give anything up to, to do what your husband did. I can still be, quote unquote, a conservative Latter-day Saint mm-hmm. or a liberal Latter-day Saint or any word you want to put in there. It doesn't cost me any of my current beliefs to accept you the way your husband accepted you. And yeah. it's not so, but sometimes it probably is maybe harder for conservative Latter-day Saints. Oh yeah, it's really hard because we're humans, right? We like putting things into boxes. Um, and sometimes we believe that because something is in one box, it absolutely cannot be in another box when that's not the case at all. We, so we believe that, you know, okay, so my faith is in the same box as this conservative box. And so there it's in this, it's like there, but 
over there, I see people who have values I don't agree with, and they are saying to be nice to gay people. And that's in a different box. So it needs to stay over there and it should not touch anything on this side in, in my box right here. But that's not the case. Being nice is a good thing. And we shouldn't just stick to our little boxes and we need to kind of branch out and think about how the Savior would react and what the Savior would do with the exception of remembering that you are not the Savior and you cannot judge people. So if you're condemning someone, maybe don't be Christ-like, but if you're, if there's someone who needs help, be Christ-like in the way that he accepts them. Um, just, uh, I'm going to read just one other, couple other comments. Monica Phillips, who's an LDS mother of a transgender son, um, and I've read this a little bit on the podcast before. Um, Satan's work isn't to deceive people into being LGBTQ. Instead, he takes his precious children of God, like you, Keon, and tells them they are worthless. He tells them there's no place for them in God's plan. He tells them God no longer loves them. He resides in their shame. He also resides in our fears, knowing that our fears will hinder our ability to truly love. Now, your husband didn't do that. Um, he somehow got past the fear of learning, you know, you had gender dysphoria and bisexual. Um, his goal is to tear families apart and drive people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is succeeding not because this group has been deceived and are now gay or trans. He's succeeding us because he is keeping us to coming to, from coming together as the body of Christ with pure Christ-like love that you talked about in your Facebook posts. So uh, that's just part of that quote. Um, that resonates really strongly. Do you like? Yeah, I really like that. Way to go, Monica Phillips. She's a great LDS mom of a transgender son. And um, I use her, um, she's been on the podcast with her son and it helped me to understand. It helps me to understand also that when I hear transgender person, I I used to just have a monolithic um, image of what mm -hmm. it, that was. And it's taken me a while to learn that transgender people have a have a, a, a huge range of experiences under that umbrella. Yeah. And it's really important um, for cis people as well as trans people to hear a lot of perspectives and to make sort of more informed decisions, especially if you're trans, about what your path is. And that's where I like what you've done is, is you... And that's part of um, a section of this book and the trans section is to go slow. That's my biggest advice for people that experience gender dysphoria because society sometimes has a, a, a very consistent narrative of what a, yeah. someone with trans, that's gender dysphoria should do. And I don't, and, but I recognize that if you can go slow and just stay close to Heavenly Father and hear a lot of stories you're going to make a better long-term decision that you're going to be more comfortable with. Now, that doesn't mean gender dysphoria always goes away. It's lessened for you, mm -hmm. and it comes back. So I don't want to imply that going slow means gender dysphoria is going to end. But it does help you make a better decision. But it, And so I think you've done a good job there. Thank you. Um, I want to come back. Well, let's talk about you being bisexual. So tell okay. us about when you kind of became aware um, that you're bisexual. The first memory I have, I think it was, yeah, it had to have been in high school. I was um, hanging out with a friend and she was just like super great. And I started to have 
catch feelings for her. And I was really confused because I liked guys. And so I couldn't like, I couldn't be gay because I just didn't, I didn't understand that that was something that existed. Um, and I just kind of like brushed it off and I thought it was weird. And I found out later she was bisexual too. So I don't know, something could have happened there, but it didn't because neither of us knew what was going on. And we both ended up getting married in the temple, but Um, it didn't really hit me until my mission and I fell in love with a sister missionary and that threw me for a loop. I did not expect that. And I, my anxiety quadrupled, my depression got even worse. Like it was just, I, I didn't understand what was going on and why it was happening. And, um, And then I kind of like stopped to realize that there were, had been lots of other instances in the past. I just thought that's how everyone felt about everyone, (laughs) but it's not, (laughs) it's not. And I was really scared to tell anyone. I didn't plan, ever plan on telling anyone, um, because, uh, I was just scared that my female friendships would deteriorate because being bi doesn't mean that you are attracted to every single person on the planet. It means you have the capability of being attracted to someone no matter like no matter what gender they are. And I still have guys who I'm good friends with who I have no interest in at all. And there were and lots of girls who I was great friends with no interest at all. I mean, I'm only interested in one person and we're married and I'm very happy with that. But before I was married, I just, I was so scared of those friendships fading and of, and my love language is is physical touch. And we, I remember I was on my mission and we're talking with someone who's no longer a member of the church and is, you know, very much a rainbow child. And she talked about how when she came out as bi, um, the women at church stopped hugging her and just kind of stopped talking to her. And I was like, oh, I don't want that to happen. I can can never tell anyone that this is, that this is a part of me because my friendships will deteriorate and I don't want that to happen. So. Why did you come out to your husband? Um, it just kind of came up like he was, because I feel like a big part of my conversations when it comes to, and it's been this way for a while, is just kind of reminding people that gay, that that bi people exist because they'll be like, oh, no, 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 you know, she's not gay. She likes guys. I'm like, hey, bi people exist. And he was talking about how maybe a friend of ours was bi and like saying stuff. And I was worried that it would, you know, drip into the slamming bi people or talking. And I was like, oh yeah, like I'm bi. And he was like, oh, you could be with a hot girl right now. And instead you're with me. That's awesome. And it was just like a normal conversation. Did it just being that open and honest and authentic, did it strengthen your marriage? Oh yeah. Yeah, it did. Just because we were honest and we always have been, um, because we both had had no luck in love before meeting each other. We were both each other's first handhold both of each other's first kiss first relationship because we just like never had had any success and for some reason around the time we met each other we decided okay I'm just gonna drop all the pretenses I'm not gonna put up any walls I'm just gonna be myself and if they like it then they like it and I'm gonna be honest about what I want and we both did that and that's how our relationship has been ever since and 
if one of us is struggling with something, then we'll come out and say so and we'll figure out how to help each other. And there's not really any games involved, no guessing games. I hate guessing games. They're the worst. Yeah, I've, I've always felt some of the best marriages are those that have these pillars of trust, communication, um, honesty. And yeah. I felt that that's just core. And and those that are able to come out in the dating process like you did with your gen dis, gender dysphoria or your sexual orientation like you did later, often that creates more of trust, honesty, oh, yeah. and communication. It takes courage. And it may take the other spouse or somebody you're dating a little bit of time to process that. But I've learned and I've been rebuked from the spirit a little bit that somebody in a mixed orientation marriage where both people, I define a mixed orientation marriage as a marriage where both aren't straight <laughs> and both aren't cis. So there's some different, one is <laughs> a rainbow child somewhere on the spectrum. And so I I thought those marriages often didn't succeed, but I've learned they really do succeed. And, and partly because of the open, vulnerable, real communication. And so I would, um, I just have great hopes for your marriage because of where you both are and the communication and the common goals. And I, I think our listeners understand that sexual orientation, whether you're straight or bi or um, gay, doesn't imply you can't be faithful to the partner you're with. Mm-hmm. Um, same with gender dysphoria. So I think sometimes we we hear somebody who's not straight and we go to um, sexual behavior that's outside the teachings of our church. And I think orientation and gender dysphoria doesn't, we shouldn't immediately go to reminding people of the teachings of our church, Yeah. which your Facebook post kind of helps us remind, you know, don't lecture, don't, <laughs> you know, people are hurting. Let's sit with them in their pain versus remind them yeah. of the doctrines of the church. And I think you've said now 12 people have been able to sit with you. Versus remind you. Yeah. Which has been nice. And a lot of those people were (laughs) people who were not, who didn't think that they would sit with someone who experienced those feelings even like a couple days ago. And that's, I think, where the real victory lies, is helping good people do more help than harm. Talk about um, part of your Facebook posts where... Um, this idea that um, Kiana is a devout member of the church and she served a mission and she's in the church and she's a rainbow child. Mm-hmm. Um, why can't, and taking your story and, a, and going to somebody else that's maybe stepped away from the church or thinking about stepping away or whatever and just saying, Kiana's doing it, you sh- this is how it's done. Why uh. Did that in your Facebook posts lead to, this is in capital letters, <laughs> I will personally drive to your house and we have a very long conversation about why that's not okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I know I put that in the post because I am really close friends with a lot of rainbow children and really close friends with their parents. And I know that they would try to use me as an example. Um, and I know because I've kind of done this in the past as well, so where I've taken faithful Latter-day Saints who are on the spectrum and told, and I feel super guilty for doing this and been like, you know, hey, you know, they did this or you'll even use myself and being like, I did this. Why can't you do it? But there, it's really a spectrum. There's such a gigantic um, array of different emotions and experiences involved. 
I think I've said this earlier, but if my dysphoria didn't fade and become manageable, I don't know if I would have made the same decision. And I'm bisexual, so it makes it a lot easier for me to get married in the per- in the temple than someone who is gay. Like, it's so much easier. Uh, if I was lesbian, I, I don't think I would be married in the temple right now or may- maybe married at all. I don't know. And these are all things that have to be taken on a case-by-case basis. And the only way that you can be making a good decision for sure is if you're walking with Christ and if you're like having a good long conversation with him. And because I'm so unsure about how all of this works in the afterlife and in the eternity, I, I don't know any of that. And so what's a good thing for me and my journey might not necessarily be a good thing for another person's journey. And I don't want to be weaponized against someone who's just trying to be happy and doing their best to not want to die. Thank you, Kiana. I've, I've wondered, I, I'm a marketing researcher, um, by trade, by, by business background. And so my marketing research mind kicks in and I've wanted to do a study that's of straight people in the church and LGBTQ people in the church and, and measure the empathy that both groups have for LGBTQ people that leave. Mm -hmm. And my hypothesis is that LGBTQ people in the church have much more empathy or understanding or insights and are able to bridge the gap better between people that stay in and leave versus straight people that don't have the same perspective of how difficult it is to be in the church. So maybe someone's done that study or maybe, but I've just sensed just the way you're talking that my hypothesis, the most empathetic people in the church for LGBT people left the church are LGBT people in the church. Cause you know, on your Facebook post talks about how difficult it is. Yeah. It's, it's still hard. Um, it's still hard. Like, and there are still some issues that I have with the church and how the church handles things. But I have to, I always have to remember that the church is not Christ and the church is not a heavenly father. Um, this is between me and, and heavenly father. And I've made covenants to walk in the church and to be a good member. And that this is, the way he wants me to help. And so that's why I'm staying, not because of anything the church does, because the church is run by imperfect people who are trying their best and overcoming thousands of years of misconceptions. And they're just humans and that's okay. That's totally fine. It's, but it's not about those people though. It's, it's about my walk with Christ and my walk with heavenly father. And that's the main reason why I'm still here. Tell us more about why you stay in the church. Because I can't deny that it's any that it's not where I'm supposed to be. Like it, it is where I'm supposed to be. Um, I remember when I was going through that dark dysphoria. It was because like there were lots of things piled on top of that. That was like my dysphoria. I was experiencing depression hard for the first time, and they would just play off of each other. It was like we had also moved around the same time, and it it was it was just a mess and. Um, I had no love in my heart for anyone else, including myself. Like there was just, it was just all like this angry darkness. That's what I was as I walked around. And 
I remember when I prayed several times very distinctly feeling love, and I know that love couldn't have come from me. I know that it didn't. I know that it had to have come from Heavenly Father. And I've had many different experiences like that throughout my life where I just, I felt the Spirit and I knew it was Heavenly Father. And like I've had, you know, conversations where I just knew that this was where I was supposed to be and what God wanted me to do. And I'm not perfect at, at doing it, but I know it's what I'm supposed to be doing. Are there specific doctrines that are unique to our church that particularly resonate with you? Um, the pre-earth life. That's, I came to realize this on my mission that um, that's very, very unique to our, our teachings. Um, the pre-earth life. Um, I think priesthood as well. And I have a complicated relationship with the priesthood, but whatever I think or say, um, I know that it's real and I know that it's powerful and that it helps people and that it is, and that it binds people together. And I know that it's the reason why my husband and I are going to be with each other forever. And I don't understand what that means, but I know that it's true <laughs> and that's strong and important. And, but above all, it's the, it's the, as much of the gospel as we're going to get in this life. Like it's from Christ and Christ is at the head. What would you say to, I'm shifting gears on you. That's um, okay. Great answers. You had some feelings of, you know, being suicidal in those dark years. Mm -hmm. I think before we went live, you never had a suicide attempt. You told me that, but some plans. Oh, yeah. What would you say to listeners right now that are in a really dark spot that are suicidal, have a plan? What would you say to them? There are other ways to end the pain. There are other ways to make it go away. And I've had, I've, I can remember two distinct times, maybe, maybe three distinct periods in my life where I have been suicidal one time like that when I was experiencing dysphoria for the first time, another time when I, I don't know why. And then another, as I was nearing the end of my mission, um, and I was lucky enough to be able to find different ways to end the pain in all of those circumstances or, and there's, there are ways there are ways to make it stop besides ending it. And I don't know what those ways are for you, but you can find them. It's a great answer. I find the people I ask that question that have been in that space give really good answers. Thanks. I've fact, asked it on Twitter today for those of you that, you know, were suicidal or okay now, what would you say to people that are suicidal? And the, the responses to that thread have been pretty eye-opening and very helpful. And I'm glad that you right now and others are sharing their journey because I think there's a lot of people that are suicidal and have suicidal thoughts and plans and they need to hear voices like yours. And I love the way you validated the pain that people feel off and that you give them hope. And that's perfect. Um, we're coming to the end. Or there, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners, Kiana, that we haven't discussed? I think 
the most important thing to remember is that people who don't understand are still good people. Because I'm getting the vibe that a lot of the people who listen to your podcast are either people who are working really hard to understand or people who already understand and want and good it's just like a good, safe, comfortable space. But it's good to remember that there are great people who just don't get it yet. And that's okay. It's a lot of empathy. Um, Kiana, thanks for being on the podcast. I just, you know, I wrote down here payday for you is I think you're, you know, you're not a mother yet, but I think you, you know, being a rainbow child, your kids are going to be aware of that at some point. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not going to hide that from them. And I sense you'd say that. (laughs) And I think that there's no shame in, and I think that that will be parental paydays for you. You may or may not have rainbow children, um, but I would guess no matter where your children are, that they'll be able to open up to you and your husband. And I think the honesty and the vulnerability and the realness of your marriage will translate into your parenthood. And there will be some paydays there because your kids will be safe opening up to you and you'll be able to help them because of just where you are and being able to talk about you and so I think, and I think in your church service and in your relationships, because you're brave enough and courageous enough and have no shame about being a rainbow child, you're going to bring hope and healing to many people. There's a lot of rainbow children that aren't talking about it right now and look in the mirror and feel they're a mistake or feel so much shame. And I love, you know, the people that come on the podcast that I think try to take shame. I don't think any Heavenly Father wants anybody to look in the mirror and feel they're a mistake or feel shame for how they're created. That doesn't take agency off the table. It doesn't change the commandments of our church, but I just think it puts people in a better emotional spot and a spiritual spot to have a better relationship with Heavenly Father if you feel like you're created as you're supposed to be created and you don't feel shame. And you're a great example of that because I think you're getting better personal revelation because you've, you look at yourself as worthy to receive personal revelation. Yeah. Any closing thoughts? This is the second time you have a chance for a glo- <laughs> I do this sometimes, listeners. Sorry <laughs> okay. about that. I think just bouncing off of what you said, that no matter what you are, who you are, you're not a mistake. And you're important and God loves you. Great closing comments. So Kiana Chase Gines, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for this Facebook post. You can find your Facebook post. Um, We'll link to it in the podcast so you can find it there also. And I'm so grateful for Kiana to be on the podcast. And for our listeners, this is Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.